Hi, guys. Welcome. Uh, first off, I won't, well, I'll follow suit. I want to thank everybody for, for your prayers over the last couple weeks. Um, we got stranded in Seattle because of weather and COVID and all the fun stuff. At one point, I was telling some folks, uh, it was lovely to be with my family. It was great. It was the best. Uh, but after about three weeks, I said, I, I think I'm going to remodel your bathroom because I just need to not be around you right now. Uh, but no, uh, the prayer we received and the outpouring of kindness was wonderful. And, uh, and then with the passing of my wife's grandmother this last Friday, uh, we're just, I say it a lot, but we're just so grateful to be a part of this congregation, this body and this family. Um, so today's, today's going to be a little bit different. Uh, I didn't get quite as much notice that I'd be preaching as I'd normally do. And so instead of a, a lesson based off of what I've been studying or anything like that, um, I'm going to be sharing about where my heart's been, uh, where my head has been over the last couple of weeks, because uh, I'm a person who is deeply nostalgic, and I hit milestones, and I start to think back about, how did I get here? And uh, as of January 1st, I've been at Palby Christian Church for five years, which is nuts. Nuts. It's insane. Five years. It feels like 50. I'm just kidding. No. It feels, it feels like a blink of an eye. It's been one of the, the great blessings in my life to, to serve here at Palby Christian Church. And like I said, I've been in a, a nostalgic and, and grateful mood. So this is, this is less of a sermon more of a testimony with a point. Not that all testimonies don't have points. But I'd like to connect the story to two different scriptures, the first of which is Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 through 23. And I always mess up the first verse and how I read it, but forgive me. It says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the, the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? Then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. The second scripture is James chapter 2, verses 14 through 16, where it says, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or a sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warm and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself does not have works, or if it does not have works, is dead. The first verse always sticks with me because it contains my greatest fear in life. And the second one sticks with me because it's one of my greatest stumbling blocks and something that I've seen derail many of my peers in their faith. The first, the first scripture talks about living a life of fruitless faith. Someone who calls on the name of Jesus but does not know him. And I can't think of anything more terrifying to myself than one day reaching the end of this life, encountering Jesus, and somewhere along the way having lost sight of who he is to me, 
what he's done for me, relying on my own wisdom and understanding instead of on his mercy and grace, getting to the end of this race, facing him, and him saying, I never knew you. I can't think of anything more terrifying to me as a a pastor, a father, and just someone who, who desperately loves the Lord. The second one is all about legalism. I have many, many friends, and me personally, at times, the more that you study the Word of God, sometimes the greater your understanding becomes. But the more you study about the grace and the mercy of Jesus, honestly, the less it makes sense to me. Because why? Why would he come to this earth for me, someone who acts against him so frequently, to die for me? And it's easy to fall into this trap, to stumble over this, and read a verse like in James chapter 2 and think, oh, I can earn my way to heaven. By me doing enough good deeds, I can somehow tip that scale and earn righteousness. And I'm telling you, if we could do that, we wouldn't have needed Jesus. The only route to heaven is through Christ, like Ryan said during his meditation. He is the way. My biggest fear and one of my biggest stumbling blocks. You see, in November of 2016, I was at a play for one of my students in Seattle. And right before the curtain opened, I, I got a call from Pastor Trey. And he let me know that the, the elders of Palby Christian Church had, to, had voted to offer me the position of youth pastor. I was amazed, I was horrified, and I was humbled. And I just remember walking back into that auditorium, thinking about that call. I was... 21 years old at the time. I was unmarried. I'd left college. I'd quit a good job to essentially volunteer full-time for almost two years. I can promise you I was not what the search committee had in mind when they opened the position. Troy York loves to remind me that we didn't want to hire a young guy. And it basically came down to myself and, and one other gentleman who, who was an excellent candidate and was probably the ideal candidate on, on paper. And I hear he's an awesome guy, and I know he got a, a great job. But he was older than me, more experienced. I'm sure he had a few degrees. And I'm sure he had a lot more answers to the questions that were asked of him. The difference between the two of us was, was pretty great, I'm told. And when I first came for my first interview for this position, I was terrified. I was running late. I had to drive six hours from Seattle down here. I was running late. I had punctured my sidewall in between Ellensburg and Yakima. I had to go to three different Les Schwab's just to find one tire. I was late, and I was freaking out. I always think about that because, I don't know if you remember, but Les Schwab used to do these commercials where they have, like, the paper figures. Like, my name is Ethan, and this is my Les Schwab story. They came in clutch for me that day. But I was running late, and I hate running late. And I was on my way to a place that I had never once been. I thought I had zero ties to. I was going to be interrogated by a bunch of people I had never met. And it was 
traumatizing. I went to Trey's house. They set up about 30 chairs in a circle. They put me in the middle. And they just started asking me questions. And a reminder, I was 21. I answered the best I could and as honestly as I could. But there were a lot of answers that I didn't fully have the right thing to say. And basically, my answer in those situations boiled down to, I'm not sure, but I would have to pray about it and seek the Lord in that. And I was told that that answer was largely what put me over the top. You see, I don't have all the answers, nor will I ever have all the answers. I'm never going to pretend to to have them. What I do have, though, is a heart desperate to see the people of this church and this community and this world come to know Jesus in a very real and authentic way. And you see, these, these particular scriptures have acted as kind of a barometer for me in my faith and in ministry. And in them lies, like I said, my greatest fear and one of my greatest stumbling blocks. That if I stop relying on Christ and instead lean on my own understanding and my own wisdom, that I would one day meet him and he would not know me. My faith journey is marked in many spots by leaders and pastors who said all of the right things, did many wonderful things, but whose hearts and lives did not reflect Christ, but rather their own vanity and authority. They either lost sight of who Christ was to them or simply never had it. Every one of these toppled, leaving a trail of destruction behind that wounded not only me, but the church as a whole. I'm a product of these men. But more importantly, of the ones who did stand and live for the pursuit of Christ's glory. You see, when I was 13, a man entered my life and changed it forever. Brock Osborne is a six foot nine giant, would be understatement. Six foot nine, he's tattooed shoulder to toes. He's got some of the biggest gauges I've ever seen. I remember one time at an overnighter, someone tried to dare me to put a padlock in it, and I could think of nothing meaner. He's six foot nine, and he's just the most intimidating looking person I have ever encountered. I actively would avoid him. His family started coming to the church, and they would sit in the front row. I would wait for them to sit down, and then I would sit the opposite side. I'd be sitting under the globe. I was actively terrified of him. About two months, though, into Brock and his family attending their church, they announced from the pulpit that he would become our next youth pastor. We had gone through three youth pastors in two years. Another, another one of those things that I struggled with. One of the reasons that when I ended up searching for positions in youth ministry, I told myself and I prayed frequently, Lord, I will not go somewhere unless I can see myself being there five years. Minimum. Brock's been at Calvary Chapel now for almost 12 years. And I can, I can so vividly remember the Sunday they announced it because I was terrified. And I'd never felt more convicted in my life. After the service, I walked up to him just trembling. And I, I was 13, so my voice is cracking. And I reached my hand out and I said, hi, my name's Ethan. I'm a part of the youth ministry. If you, if you need anything, I, I'd love to help out. 
And he looked like way down at me. Said, reached out his hand and said, it's so nice to meet you. I can't wait to work with you. And I realized in that moment that he's a gentle giant. Later that week, Brock had an open forum. He invited students, parents, members of the church to come and hear his story, ask him questions, to get to know the man that would be leading their students in ministry. He told his story, and it's, it's quite a story. It's an amazing story. The story of a young man who loved God deeply, went to Bible college, lost loved ones, fell away from faith, took up with the wrong crowd, and who had very recently been released from jail. Brock, like all of us, is the sum of his past. However, early in his incarceration, he re-encountered Jesus. He has journals and journals filled with his thoughts, his prayers from that time. I keep telling him he needs to publish them. But you can see Jesus working in this man. You see, he was, like I said, he was the sum of his past, but he was not, no longer defined by it. Instead, defined by his relationship with Christ. The Lord grabbed him and he never let go. Brock's a very, very humble man. After lessons or youth events or any time someone tries to give him praise, he gets kind of awkward and says, it's not me, it's Jesus. See, Brock went from being my biggest fear in the world to the greatest mentor I have ever had and will ever have. He took me under his wing and he taught me how to study the word, how to show grace in times of turmoil, and how to stand strong in times of great adversity. He believed in me, even when I felt worthless. He fought for me. He stood by me. He encouraged me, and he loved me, which is not always easy. Shortly after Brock started, he invited me to to be a leader in the youth ministry, to help out with middle school. I loved it because I love dodgeball, and I love hitting middle schoolers with dodgeballs (laughs) lovingly. But I can think of so many times where we would be playing, and Brock would be off to the side talking to our pastor, and I would be like, I'd just get honorary. And I would grab a dodgeball, and I'd run, and I'd jump as high as I could, because he's huge. And I would just chuck a ball straight at his face. And as soon as I would do that, as like a 14, 15-year-old, I'd think, he could literally kill me just by stepping on me. <laughs> but still, still he loved me. I watched as he invested himself in hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of students and loved every single one of them, even if he only liked most of them. He touched so many lives, and Christ through him saved so many eternities. Now each student that I encounter and have the joy of investing in, Brock is just as much a part of that as I am. I was made timid by men who shine the light on themselves, but forever changed by the ones who instead reflected Jesus. Brock is probably one of the first people in my life I can remember who actually lives out what he believes. I'd like to read the scriptures again. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demons in your name? And do, men, and do many mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. And then, 
What good is it if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed, be filled, without giving them the things needed for their body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Brock doesn't just talk the talk, he walks the walk. And not only that, but he runs the race with great endurance. And, and I don't want you to think that this whole message is just about me praising Brock for what he's done in my life. But more importantly, it's about pointing out that I hope we all have someone in our life who reflects Jesus, who shows us what it means to live a life for Christ. See, it took me, it took me a long time to realize that Brock's not Superman, even though he probably has more of the physical build of the Incredible Hulk. He is a flesh-and-blood man, just like all of the other men that let me down. His real secret was actually not a secret at all. It's something that he, he keeps out there. He, he says it almost every time he teaches, almost every time you talk to him. Brock's secret is that he loves Jesus. <laughs> he loves Jesus so much. He loves him so much that he spends his entire life investing in the people who need Christ most desperately in a place that needs it even more desperately. The reason I connect this story to these scriptures is because the scriptures are deeply ingrained in me. Because like I said, it shows how to live a life of fruitless faith. To call on Jesus but not know him and to profess Christ but live a life that does not actively reflect his heart. However, also inside of them, it gives the roadmap to a life of eternal impact for Christ. And these are some lessons that I learned from Brock's model and simply how he lives his life. Number one, the more that you love Jesus, the more you spend time with him in study, in prayer, in fellowship with his people, the more that you love Jesus, the more you will love like Jesus. Because it's a transformative love that will grab hold of your heart. And number two, this one is important for me to remember sometimes. Works are not the means to salvation, but rather they are the byproduct of a life spent in the pursuit of Christ's heart. I went from Brock being my pastor to him being one of my very best friends. And the, the best thing about that November night, as I returned into the auditorium, as I got to walk up to Brock and say, I'm going to be a youth pastor. And I just remember giving him a huge hug. And I remember my face only hitting like his belly button, because again, he's huge. I don't know if that joke's getting old yet or not, but he's massive. I hugged him, and I said, just thanked him. And I cried a little, and... I let go, and I looked way up at him, and I said, you know what the scariest part of this is going to be? He says, what? I looked him dead in the eyes, and I said, we're peers now. And I could just see the blood drain from his face. (laughs) The worship team wants to come back up. I am where I am today because the Lord blessed me with mentors, 
with members of the body who reflected Jesus in my life. People who showed me what it means to live a life biblically and for the right reasons and with steadfast faith. I am the pastor I am today not because of my education or my own wisdom, nor my sheer confidence and talent. Just kidding. I am the pastor and man I am today because at all times, in all ways, I strive to seek the Lord. I desire to know him deeper and to love him fully. I thank him every day for what he has done for me. And I don't always remember to do so, but I want to take a moment to just thank Brock for everything that he's done for me, for being exactly who I needed so that I can now be who my students need. An open and authentic follower of Christ who desires them to know Jesus more deeply and live a life that will have an impact for the best. Thank you for allowing me to serve at Pabby Christian Church these last five years. I can't wait to see what the next 25 have in store. Because of my mentor and the people here at Poppy Christian Church, I'm confident that when I make it to the end of this race, I know I will not hear Jesus say, I never knew you. But rather, I will hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. Will you bow your heads and pray with me? Thank you, Lord. Thank you for all that you do. Thank you for allowing me to serve in the, the capacity I do at this amazing church. Thank you for each soul here. Thank you for the people that guide us along the way, who are humble servants, reflecting your mercy and your grace. God, you are so good to us. You're so great. I would just pray that we would take a moment to meditate, look back on our lives, and recognize all the people that led us to where we are, and that we would have gratitude for knowing each and every one of them. Thank you for being our example, and thank you for people who are willing to follow that example. We love you, Father. Pray these things in your name. Amen.